You're listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com. One of the most glorious chapters in the scripture, you sort of mark it up with Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. 1 Peter chapter 1, the whole bit, right? Um, this is it. And so it's, uh, it, it's incredible, incredible uh, place to be. Um, and, and, and certainly there's lots to learn. So, so what we're learning about specifically is knowing and desiring God, right? Knowing and desiring God. Um, that's kind of the, the topics. What makes up that knowing and desiring God is... Uh, you, you don't know or really desire God without hope and treasure and power, which are all of sort of the subject matter that's wrapped up into what's happening here. So as I said uh, moments ago, uh, hopefully this helps you not only understand personally how you desire God, right, uh, and, and, and how you know God, but also it, it's going to help you be able to know this for others so that is, you, you, you know how you know God and you know how you desire God. It's part of the benefit of today. The other benefit is, is praying for yourself to know these things and to desire these things. Um, that's certainly um, the point of today. So specifically, we have a way and an action point where you can uh, leave today properly praying for one another to um, know God. And if you're looking for books no book recommendations here, but uh, if you're looking for great books and what are their two greatest titles on um, what it means to know God and what it means to desire God, you need to look no, no further than Packer's Knowing God and Piper's Desiring God when those are just two of the greatest books in the hundred, last hundred years written about the two subjects, even though uh, they're both still alive, right? Um, so those are, those are, if you have not read those, let me encourage you to do so. Uh, you, you owe it to yourself to read them. Um, so, uh, our text here today, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, which by saying it also assumes that you could not know what hope that there is, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Um, so uh, let's just read, read the context if we can again. If you're there sitting on top of verses 18 and 19, we'll read for you the context one more time that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So he's wanting believers uh, to be wise and to be knowledgeable, part of Christian maturity for you. Uh, If you've ever seen anybody who's um, just generally immature before, you know what that looks like. Also, if you know um, <clears throat> what spiritual immaturity is, that's a real thing that plagues the church, right? Because it plagues humanity. Um, so Paul is wanting to mitigate that, right? And what do you mitigate immaturity with? Knowledge. That's what. And grace. And that's the reason that he's, he's, he's wanting to grow up, 
right? He, he's not wanting them to be newborn in the faith. He's wanting them to grow up into maturity and adulthood. That's that's the point. Um, so let's let's look here at our first point. Um, and so if if we're going to sort of bite off a piece of verse here, it is the section that says, "Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know." Right. So uh, Paul wants his uh, wants his audience to know through things. But first of all, we've got to talk about that. sort of how he's getting his his desire for them to know and so your first point is um hearts enlightened right hearts hearts enlightened now now specifically this is what the language says having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know so you're an american and because you're an american and you're a westerner living in the 21st century when you see the word eyes uh it may mean something different certainly you see the word heart it definitely means than the original audience would have received it. Because for you, the heart is the center of human emotion. And that is not the way that the Jew looked at it or anybody in the ancient world. That they didn't look at it like that. So the bowels, they were once the intestines, right? The bowels were the seat of human emotion. And so if he was wanting to uh, sort of understand it, uh, or if he was wanting to write it with understanding, like you, like the original, like like you would have understood it, he would have said bowels, right? That's not what he said. He said heart, and heart for the Jew, uh, um, the writing Jew and, and the receiving Gentile just means something altogether different. And it's not to say that heart's not important, because it is. Uh, it is uh, for the original audience, heart means this. It, 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 it means the center of one's personality, and the core of their very being, okay? Uh, so the, 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 core, the core of their very, very being and the center of their personality, that's what it means. Um, and so, um, sorry, I'm a bit distracted because of my three-year-old. Um, I don't get very distracted often, but my children are that, they, they can do it. So, um, so what, what I need you to be thinking about is is sort of dismiss anything that you're thinking about when it says heart, right? Uh, because when you, you think heart, you have a different set of emotions or you have a different set of thoughts about sort of everything that that means. Um, this is talking about, as Paul is saying, hey, uh, what I, I want them to see, I want them to see not with their emotions, their romance, their affections. I want them to see with the very center and core of their being. Uh, that's, that's what he's really trying to get at. Um, so the, the, the reality is, is what do you see? Like, where, where are your eyes opened? Um, to this, uh, your by the way, your heart doesn't have eyes. So all this is getting down to understanding. That's, that's what it's talking about, right? That you, at the center, not of your emotions, but at the center of your core being, your essence, your essential being, that you would know these things. Uh, and of course, <clears throat> all of us have to realize uh, that seeing something spiritually is a spiritual phenomenon. It's a spiritual phenomenon. Uh, most of us don't realize that we uh, are blind in areas or were blind in areas, right? Um, <clears throat> and certainly the Bible makes that perfectly clear in the book of Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. The text says, for, I say, for you say, I am rich and I have prospered. God is speaking to the church and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, 
poor, blind, naked, right? So they say they're one thing, God says they're another. Same situation here. You may say, oh, I can see quite fine. And then God says, well, you say that, but I say you're completely blind. Um, and, and so when Paul says, I want you to be able to see these things, he's talking about how um, <clears throat> his desires for the church to grow spiritually, not numerically, to grow spiritually. He wants them to grow. He wants them to uh, mature. And that is directly uh, affected uh, by uh, whether they can see what they can see, right? Um, so I don't know if you've, any of you tried to walk in the dark before, but it's a very difficult enterprise. And I don't know if you've ever been to a place where you can't even see your hand in front of your face, but there are very, 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 very dark places, right? And Jesus um, is referred to in the New Testament as sort of the light that breaks in as the dawn of a new era. That's kind of the language that the New Testament refers to Jesus as. And so anything that you see in your life, truth that you say, see and things that are true, you see it um, because your eyes have been enlightened, your heart is able to see. We pray. Um, part of the IOUS construct that some of us use to pray with, the O is um, open my eyes uh, that, uh, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law, uh, which is... Uh, Psalm 119, 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. So here's, here's the point. We just got through talking about the sealing of the Holy Spirit, not a few verses ago. And it is the Spirit that gives you sight, right? Uh, the Spirit gives believers enlightenment to the eyes of their heart so that your heart will understand and desire God. That's it, right? So the, the, the Holy Spirit... Uh, affects that. I know that many of you are and have been before not only frustrated at your own spiritual life, but oftentimes uh, frustrated at maturity or progress in the lives of others. And, and of course, what does that come down to? It comes down to the fact that they we want them to be able to see, but they're walking around bumping into things because they can't. Of course, we become extremely frustrated at that when in fact, um, God uh, is the one who gives people eyes to see. Right. So now you remember what um, Matthew chapter six, verse 22 says, right? He says that the eye is the lamp of the body, right? It's, it's the lamp of the body. He said in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, now, uh, uh, he, there's a lot that he means by that. Um, he's just been talking about in the same section of the Sermon on the Mount that where your uh, treasure is there, your heart will be also, and he's also talking about idol worship sort of at the same time, right? Uh, but this is what he's saying. What he's saying is that your eyes are the driver of the desire of your life. That is to say, you see things as a human and you want them, right? You see things and you desire them, right? Um, you do. Uh, that's, that's, you know, the, 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 the eyes, the wind of the soul, and... Uh, the light of the body. I mean, that's, that, that's what happens. We are extremely visual people, right? And so uh, oftentimes the reason that you don't desire God is because you don't see God, right? Uh, anybody in here ever seen God before? I haven't, right? Um, and likely will not. But I logically know, and see his creation, and I know that he's there. You need to be spiritually mature enough to know that a lot of your wonderings throughout your week, a lot of your idol worship throughout your week is directly affected 
by the lamp of your body, which is your eye, right? And if those eyes and the things of that your eyes see constantly is not checked and not challenged by God's truth, if you realize, hey, God, our relationship is based on faith. Faith, by definition, exists because it cannot see. So help me, help me to know and believe you well. Help my eyes not to move me in the wrong direction. Help me to look upon the right thing, uh, the right person, and desire it. Let's let's take a look at the the first thing that Paul wants his audience to see. He wants them to see hope. That's the first thing, right? And he's praying for hope for them. He's praying for hope for them, but he's praying specifically that their eyes would see hope, right? Um, See hope. And and, and this this theme keeps happening. It keeps coming up over and over again in, in first in Ephesians chapter one for a reason that is because um, hope is central uh, to Paul's message it is certainly central uh, sort of to the, 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 the three highest Christian virtues are the holy trifecta faith hope and love right so hope's in there right and um, sin in your life often happens because you uh, you end up hoping in the wrong thing. You end up, that is to say, desiring the wrong thing, right? Um, that's 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 what what happens. That's day to day. That's Monday to Saturday, and even on the afternoons uh, on weekends like today. That's that's what it looks like, right? So, um, Paul is wanting them to see, hey guys, the things that I'm praying for you, they are the greatest light that you can have. It, it is something that will sort of set the course of your life clearly so that you can see out in front of you. It's sort of the fulfillment of what he's already prayed for them in Psalm chapter 119 when he said, uh, open my eyes that I can see your law or that word, your lamp. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light into my path. Paul is wanting the Christian community in Ephesus to have something that when everything goes dark, they still have these things. They still have hope. They still have their inheritance. And they still have good faith that this, though things may look weird, ultimately their lives are ordered by God's work and God's power. Now for any of you Lord of the Rings fans or fanatics or onlookers, um, the uh, the section uh, where Ship of the Ring, the first movie, where Galadriel um, of Lothlorien, Lady of the Wood, and one of the oldest figures in Middle-earth, um, she goes up to, to Frodo, and she gives Frodo the light of the Cimmeril, if you're familiar with that section. So it gives him the light of the Cimmeril, right? If Christian Davis was here, he'd be coming out of his seat. He's so excited about this stuff. Um, gives the light of the Cimmeril, right? And then she says, when she gives him the light of the Cimmeril, she says, the light of the Cimmeril is the light that keeps shining when all other lights go out, right? You remember that that language, that vocabulary? So this is the light that I'm giving you when all other lights go out. It was the light of the Cimmeril. You're familiar with the Cimmerillion. Um, so the historical prequel to the, to the books. So in 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 good fashion, Paul is looking to the church at Ephesus and saying to them, "Here is God's hope. Here is God's power. Here is your inheritance. I cannot possibly tell you how rich you are." He's giving them all these things, and these things are the substance of the light that they have, 
so that when they feel that all of the lights go out, this is the one that happens. And here's the thing. When all of the lights go out for you, is not this sort of just crisis of belief that may happen once in a lifetime, once a year. This is, this is a constant turning on and off of the switches. Does that make sense? In your life where you recognize who you're hoping in, that you're hoping in God, that you have a light that has a power source that will not end, um, and that your life is ordered by that light. Like that's just, that's the reality of it. Uh, the second thing that Paul wants uh, them to know is how rich they are. He wants them to know how rich they are. And this would be especially palpable for people in the Christian community, not only the Jewish Christian community, but the Gentile Christian community, who are now being persecuted. They have, uh, inevitably, many of them are experiencing social persecution, vocational persecution, as they are unable to get a job. They may have been fired for their faith because they are, they're, they're, they're now not taking part of, you know, uh, the, the emperor cult worship of the particular Caesar that is in power at that time. There's lots of different things that can happen and that would have been happening to them, right? And so he's wanting to tell this, this group of people who are inevitably persecuted and socially and financially poor, uh, probably emotionally destitute as well, um, that they are so wealthy, that they are so rich. And it's very difficult for them to believe because their eyes only see something else, right? But what he's praying for them, what he's already prayed for them, is that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that they could actually see really how rich they are, right? Uh, that those things are difficult. They, they are wealthy beyond measure. Now, of course, in order to know how wealthy you are first, you first have to know how poor you are and how destitute truly you are spiritually. Ephesians chapter 2 gives us a window into that poverty. Uh, it says in verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. No hope, no inheritance, no hope, uh, estranged from the life of God, a complete outsider, um, you, certainly you, you had no hope, you had no riches, you didn't even have any hope, right? But then he goes on to say, you're wealthy. And this is the thing, it's what you have to ask yourself is that like what, what's, what's dominating your, your uh, really the, the life of your mind, right? What is it? I mean, do, 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 do you believe, do you believe that God has blessed you with blessings to enjoy? I mean, do, do you believe that you're as rich as the Bible says that you are. And the Bible uses so many different images, so many different metaphors, so many different analogies, the biblical authors do, to try to convince the audience of everything that they enjoy. So what are just a few of the riches that you enjoy? Well, first of all, your heirs with Christ. Uh, this concept was one as a young Christian that I always had a difficult time getting my head around. I, I just, I never understood it. Um, I, I knew what an heir was. I, I completely understood that. But in terms of being heirs with Christ, I just couldn't get my head around what that meant. Uh, it just kind of seemed distant in its meaning to me. 
And so it's talked about several places in one particular at Romans chapter eight, verses 16 and 17. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So you've been adopted into the family of God. If you're a believer here today, you've been given full family rights. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So the word heirs there is mentioned three times, right? And the fact that you were children of God. So you are an heir of God and you're fellow heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs, right? Um, now, I think fellow heirs understands this. Jesus Christ risen from the dead because his sacrifice was worthy. You understand? His, his life and his death were so incredible that it moved heaven and earth to get him up from the dead. That, so the father raised the son from the dead. There is a text that says the son raised himself, but most mentions in the Bible say that it's the father's role that's happening. Certainly scripture seems to say it was both. Um, but he, he got up from the dead. And guess what? So the resurrection and his coronation is the word of Jesus's life and death. And then it's in that context that he says, you're a fellow heir with Christ. You're a fellow heir, right? Um, we sing songs with lyrics like this. Why should I gain from his reward? His reward is not mine, right? That's, that's what spiritual adoption does for you. It gives you something that you didn't earn. Not only does it give you uh, the reward of eternal life, right? But it looks at you and says, yeah, well, when you get to heaven, you're going to be fellow heirs with Christ. Now, is that to say that you'll be worshipped? No, you will not be worshipped. You won't. There will be no idolatry in heaven. We will not be breaking the first and second commandment anymore, right? Um, but are you a fellow heir? Do, do you enjoy the benefits as an heir of what Jesus accomplished for you? A hundred percent. We have no idea how wealthy you are, right? So if I told you today that um, you know, our family had had a check come in being from Arkansas and that we had had a relative that died and they had an incredible amount of Walmart stock way, 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 way back in the day. If you know anything about Walmart, um, it is in Arkansas, right? It literally fuels the state economy. It really does. So um, yeah, what, what the airport and the airline industry and Delta is to Atlanta, Walmart is to the entire state. And we said, hey, yeah, we have this check written and we're just a million, you know, immediate quadrillionaires, right? I mean, there's just, there, there's, there, there's a lot of money in Walmart. So Sam Walt was certainly the wealthiest man uh, in America before he died um, in terms of the most wealthy men uh, in the United States. And when he died, he split his wealth four ways between a wife and three other children. And all four of them immediately went on the top 10 list of the most wealthy people in the United States. So this mom and pop Walmart store, which started off very small, littering uh, the Arkansas landscape, uh, has made very well wealthy people. And so, you know, let's just say for the sake of the argument that we have a ton of Walmart stock here. In, in the Tipton family, we've got it. We just woke up one day and we realized, look at all this cash, right? In other words, it's a treasure that 
I mean, it's unbelievable that the, the, what you could do with it and share with it and give with it in, in terms of generosity would be unbelievable. And it would almost be hard to get your head around about just how wealthy we truly were. Um, it would be, you'd certainly be in shock. When it comes to spiritual, when it comes to spiritual blessings, there really is no shock. It's everything that we can do uh, to try to convince ourselves of, of, of exactly what we enjoy, right? Does anybody have sticker shock on, on the sort of the, the blessings that God gives him? No. Normally it's a slow roll into the great blessings that we already enjoy, right? And this is what Paul's trying to help them understand. He, he wants them to be able to see something that they are inclined not to see, and that is you're so wealthy, so when we're praying for ourselves, how should we pray? We should pray that what that we would see all the richness that God has blessed us with, right? When you uh, uh, and when we should also pray that we have hope and see hope um, in our lives. And then when we pray for others and praying, right, uh, rather than that praying at bedtime, just generically calling people by name, we pray for X, Y, and Z, or maybe a request that they've given us. We should certainly pad that with, God, I, I want to pray that they see the hope that they have in you and that they wouldn't be diverted from seeing any other hope. And that that, 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 that other hopes that they're enjoying in their lives certainly wouldn't become idols uh, compared to the greatest hope that they have, and would you help them? Would you help them to see exactly everything that they have and all the blessings that they've enjoyed? Help, help them to see 10% of what they've forgotten and learned, right? I mean, just, there's so much that we certainly can enjoy. Uh, what else do we enjoy uh, in Christ? We could sit here all day. I mean, that's the really the point of the New Testament is unpacking the wealth of Christ. Um, but we have forgiveness of sins, we have um, an indwelling spirit. It's, it's what we have. Um, and, and of all the devotional hermeneutics or the interpretation tools that I've given you over the years in order to understand the Bible, right, you've been given, you know, when you look for the Bible, you should, when you read the Bible, you should look for these things, right? Uh, sins to forsake, prayers to echo, commands to obey, examples to follow. Um, in this particular area, one that you should really lay hold of is blessings to enjoy, right? You should have your like special highlighter, right? For blessings to enjoy. When you see them, this is a blessing to enjoy. This is a teaching to learn. This is a promise to claim. And th these, these stocks, these stocks are the wealth that makes up your spiritual portfolio. Does that make sense? Like you certainly have everything that you need in Christ. And it's a matter of recognizing it in the Bible, um, and not making God a means to an end, right? But just understanding everything that he's given to you. The, the third and last thing that Paul wants his audience uh, in Ephesus, which he has pastored there for two years, he wants them to see God's power toward them. He wants to see exactly the substation of God's power, uh, of everything that it takes to do in effect what he's done for them, right? Um, what, 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 what kind of power, what kind of power does it, does it take to keep a life running, to keep a human body moving? Uh, we, scientific answers untold. God could tell us what it would take, right? But one thing is for sure, 
The universe is held together by the word of his power, the New Testament says. And you are a part of that universe. We're not deists. We don't believe that God, uh, like Thomas Jefferson, spun the earth and walked away from it. Right? We're not deists at all. Uh, we believe that God is, as Carson said, imminent, right? That he is very much and very close to his creation, being involved in the affairs of his creation. What kind of power does it take to keep uh, the, the creation going? Well, it, it, take, it takes a lot. I have a young man who's a runner of mine. He's a sweet kid. He's uh, in high school, and he has a, a mitochondrial disease. And, uh, of course, if you know anything about um, cellular science, you know that the mitochondrial is kind of the, the sort of the energy uh, part of all of your cells. So when you have a mitochondrial issue, then you become very, very, very weak, right? You have to supplement that. And when, I mean, having a mitochondrial issue is hard enough, just living everyday life, but when you're running 45 miles a week, then a mitochondrial issue can become a real health hazard, real health hazard, right? And so um, think about in terms of what is, what does it take to keep you and your physical body going? Okay, think, think about that. And, you know, I, I think what Paul is saying here in, in, in verse 19 is uh, comparable to that. And in other words, in, in, in my estimation, it dwarfs the power uh, that is needed um, to save your soul. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Notice the repeating themes there. Greatness, power, great, and might. Greatness, power, great, and might. You notice those recurring themes. The third thing that Paul is praying for them is um, that they may know how, how much power it takes. What's, what's the energy that it takes um, for them to understand exactly how much God loves them to the point of salvation, right? What power did it take to negotiate your ransom? What did that take? And it's Paul's desire that people will live with eyes wide open and their hearts in full agreement of everything that it took to win them back, right? This is not the first place that Paul wants people to know about God's power. For whatever reason, it's very important to him. A very familiar passage over in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 says, that I may know him and the power of of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Ephesians chapter 10, excuse me, 6 verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and in the strength of his might. Um, what does Paul want? He wants the Christian to be convinced in their mind of everything that God's done for them, for them not to take for granted the things that God has done, for them to live the moments and the hours of their life making decisions based on God's work, based on riches given, based on power taken to save you, based on hope given that you would react not how you want to react, but that you would react in full view, in full heart knowledge, with eyes wide open of what God has done for you. 
when you react to someone, when you say something, when you, uh, as <clears throat> James, the brother of Jesus, says, to him who sees, knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin, that, that when, you ha- when you're at that juncture to make that decision, right, to not do good and therefore to sin, then, then you, would, you would think about what God has done for you. And you would let that be um, the great rudder in your life uh, and move in that direction. And here's the thing. If Paul the apostle could give them the knowledge of power, if he could give them hope, if he could give them all of these spiritual blessings, he would just give it to them. He would just say, here it is, right? But he can't. He can plead with them. He can speak to them in the power of the Holy Spirit. He can talk with persuasive words about the claims of the gospel. But what he can't do is give it to them. And and that's the reason we pray. We pray in areas where we are unable, right? And we say, God, help, right? Help where there, there is nothing here that I can do. Right? And Paul, as a father, pleading for his child who has done about as much as he can do, says, God, would you please give them hope? Would you please give them a knowledge of their great wealth in you? Would you please give them a knowledge of the power that it took to save them? And would this sort of move them in Christian maturity? Um, and of course, all of this, friends, is coming through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'll, we'll end on this note that this certainly uh, can be a light for you. This Christian truth is a light when all other lights go out. Some of you have felt that before. Um, I don't know about you, but um, there are times in my life when things go dark and the only light in my life um, is God and his word, period. Period, um, and uh, I, I encourage you to um, make that a part of your day. You know, we're in a very unique time in human history uh, because um, we we live in in uh, the last 100 years of church history, and for that matter, salvation history, uh, which means we have ready access to a Bible. And even 100 years ago, there were, rather than individual Bibles for the most part, there were family Bibles at best 100 plus years ago, 200 years ago. There were hardly even family Bibles. Um, and so you and I have, have, have this, right? Um, again, you know, be legalistic about sort of reading it, um, you know, five hours a day, but you do need to make God's word a part of your normal everyday regimen. I mean, it really needs to be there. Um, so uh, reorientation today is, hey, uh, how, do I, how, how do I know God and how to desire God? Well, I know him by uh, agreeing to, to, to what, is, what has been done for me, right? And then also what this enables you to do is it enables you to pray differently, uh, for other people, and let me encourage you to do that um, if I can going forward. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask you to. We all be willing to serve us the table today. We all do that. Oh, we have no bread today, so we have crackers instead. And so uh, we'll have to dip our crackers as we take the Lord's table today. I encourage you to come joyfully and to come confessing when you come, uh, thanking God for all that He's done for us.
in Christ. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have called us to um, uh, love one another. God, we, uh, we are so uh, oftentimes blind to the riches that you've endowed to us. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to grow in Christian maturity, that the Spirit of God would remind the people of God uh, of all that you have done and all that you have won uh, in you, that, that um, because you are closer than our next breath, that you would uh, bring back to our minds, that you would enable our memories uh, to walk according to, uh, to walk contrary to the flesh and according to that Spirit. And so we thank you, um, God, for um, your word. God, we do pray that you would open our, our eyes to see wonderful things in your law um, and in your word. And so we, uh, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for the church and the grace that it is and the commanded gift, um, God, which uh, brings us so much joy. We pray for your table, God, as we take it and um, as we see the gospel afresh in the name of the Holy Spirit, apply um, the, the glories of the gospel to our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia of Newton Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, or hear more like this, check out our website, ecclesianewton.com.